Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. So last week, I kind of introduced this idea of the gospel and where we're going to be. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through this and reading from different parts of Scripture. So uh, this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And so if you want to turn there, we're going to have a little bit on the screen. And if you know anything about me or Luke chapter 15, you know that this is my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. And, And the chapter is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. And likely, even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church and you haven't talked about Jesus a lot in your life, you've heard some semblance of this chapter of scripture. And so in Luke 15, this is Jesus and he's teaching parables. And there's three parables in Luke chapter 15. And all a parable is, is a parable is a story that, that, that gives us, that, that has symbolism to who God is. And what I love about this scripture, and what I love about Luke chapter 15 and the parables that Jesus teaches in general, is I think it's significant because Through the parables, we truly see the heart of Christ. We see his heart for his people. We see his heart for those that are far from him, his love for the world. And we we see that come out through these parables. And I think that sometimes if you call yourself a Christian, you've done a lot of time in Bible study and church, we have this pursuit of knowledge. We think, man, if I could just understand more, if I could learn more and, and man, while knowledge is power, sometimes we kind of skip over this idea to truly see the heart of Jesus for people. And I love the way he's, he does and teaches through these parables. And so in Luke chapter 15, I, just to set it up a little bit, and then we're gonna, we're gonna read through all three. And this is gonna be a very shallow dive. But let me challenge you, if you don't, like if you're thinking about your own time with the Lord this week and you're not, reading something in scripture, if, you have a, if you've gotten out of the habit of doing a quiet time in your life and spending time with the Lord and opening his word, just you and him, I'll encourage you, man, Luke chapter 15 is a great place to start. And so if you're looking for something, just start there and just read it, read it, and read it, and read it, and let the truth of his heart for his people wash over you. So in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus is teaching to a large group of people. It says now, in first one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them these parables. And so Jesus is speaking to all of these people, right? And he's sharing the heart of the gospel and the heart of God for people that are near to him, people that are far from him. And I love this idea of Jesus drawing people to him. And so he is speaking to sinners and tax collectors, the worst of the worst. And so if that doesn't bring you comfort, that brings me comfort, right? Man, that the Lord is speaking the truth about how much he loves um, the people that are very far from him. And so even in Luke chapter 25, it's Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, large crowds were beginning to travel and gather with Jesus. And so this idea of Jesus speaking to the sinners and speaking to these people that the Pharisees, these religious leaders think are lowly, are second class, are not worthy, are unclean. The Pharisees see, I am righteous and I am good, but these people are not. And so it's not only that he is speaking to them, but he's having meals and breaking bread with them. And I just love the instigator that is Jesus, right? That resonates me with so much. I, I, can, I can be accused of being an instigator in my life. Uh, I'm coaching my, my third grade son's basketball team 
and I love basketball and I love coaching these boys and I can be a bit of an instigator. And so this week we were playing this other team and they kept having moving screens. So they were like moving into our guys. And I was like, I was yelling, I was like, you gotta fight through those moving screens. Those are illegal screens. And the other coach did not like that. I was instigating. But we see Jesus instigating these Pharisees in this moment. Um, and th these are things that just irks these guys. These are people that he is breaking bread with and speaking to and sitting down with that these Pharisees would never do, that they're below them, that to them they are the unclean and they are the righteous. And so he tells them these three parables. And so we're gonna walk through each one. And what I want you to consider as you hear the heart of the gospel is to see yourself in, in these parables and how the Lord sees you and to see how Jesus and the heart of God for um, for you in these stories. And so the, the first parable is uh, the parable about the lost sheep. And so the first thing I want you to think about is this idea is that you are a sheep. So as we read this, I want you to think about yourself. So in verse four, it says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you then the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so we have this image of the shepherd and it's like this very romantic, like we romanticize this image of this great shepherd in a field caring for these these sheep, but, but it was different for these people in this time, in this society, that being a shepherd was a very lowly position, that it was not a noble, it wasn't a righteous, it wasn't a, these people weren't this romantic idea that we have in our mind. And so for these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, for, for Jesus to suggest that God is a shepherd and that he could do this unclean job is really, it instigates them, right? It's an instigate. He, he is comparing God to this really lowly position that they could never even be in relationship with. And <clears throat> these shepherds, a lot of, they didn't even have basic human rights. They couldn't testify in court. You wouldn't give your daughter's hand in marriage to a shepherd. There were a lot of things that they didn't have. So when Jesus compares the Lord to a shepherd, he is pressing the buttons of these Pharisees, right? When Shay was growing up, my wife Shay, when she was growing up, her dad, Barry Boren, would always call her Spoon, right? And you call her Spoon, why? Because she's always stirring up trouble, right? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's just stirring up trouble with these Pharisees. And so in that he's instigating, right? And so in this story, you think about you as a sheep. And so let's consider the sheep for a moment. And this parable is not about what the sheep has done. It's not about what the sheep has done, it's about the shepherd. All that the sheep has done has gotten lost, has gotten lost for the herd. It's about what the shepherd has done. Last week we talked about the idea is the gospel is about what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And sheep, by nature, they're domesticated herd animals. They're of some of the earliest domesticated animals. And so you go back to Moses was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. And so the, these animals, by nature and by their domestication, they are flock animals, which means they come together and they're in a herd and in a flock together. And by nature, they belong in the herd. And that is how they survive. A sheep survives by being part of the flock. 
So when a, when a sheep is separated from the flock, it's defense mechanism. And what it does is a sheep lies down and will not move because it is separated from the flock. So when this, you think about these 99, you think about the sheep and consider your own life. It's like all the sheep knows how to do is lay down. It lays down. And the truth about the gospel is it's about Jesus coming after you, not about what you can do in trying to find the Lord. I think we, you know, a lot of times we say as Christians, we say, oh, you know, we're chasing after Jesus. But really the truth is the Lord is chasing after you. And here are these sheep that is lying down. I want you to hear what this scripture says. In verse five, it says, well, he says he leaves the 99, he goes after the one lost sheep. It says when he finds it, when he finds a sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. He doesn't scold the sheep. The sheep is not in trouble. He's not angry. He's not upset about the sheep being lost. I was talking with uh, Mariah Smith before church and she was just telling me that they're watching the dog, uh, their, their daughter's dog as she's out of town this weekend. And so she said, yeah, we had a great time last night, except for we opened the garage and this psychotic dog ran out and we're like running through the night. It's cold and we're trying to find this dog. That is not the sheep. The Lord's not frustrated that it's gotten separated. The shepherd is not angry. It says when he sees the sheep, he joyfully takes it up and carries it home where the sheep belongs. I think when we consider our lives and the Lord coming after us, we think the Lord looks at us and looks at the things that we've done wrong. And he's angry, he's upset, and he's like Mariah looking for the psychotic dog that runs out. And we've all been there, right? But a sheep doesn't even come when it's called. It lies down, has to be carried home. Uh, we, we got a cat recently, and like our dog will get out, and she's pretty good about coming. I'll call Polly. Cats do not come when called. And the cat is great, but man, they do not come as called. So we get this cat, and I'm telling you, this was church maybe this fall, and the cat gets out before I'm on my way out to come to church, and the cat skirts out the door. And I'm like running late. I got to come unlock the building. I'm trying to rush out. And so I get this broom, and he's under the neighbor's car. I'm like, come on, kitty, come on, kitty, because I don't want to leave you out. And I'm trying to skirt it back in. I got the door open. The cat is like right about to go in, and it darts the other way. And in true transparency, I take this broom, and I'm Boom, I smack it against our column in our house and our broom breaks in two. But that's not you. And that's not the heart of the shepherd, right? The shepherd isn't upset. The shepherd doesn't scold the sheep. Then it says he takes them up and it brings joy. It says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sheep than is found than over the righteousness of the 99. And that's the beauty of the shepherd. And that's the heart of the gospel. Is that man, if you're lost and you look at the transgression in your life and you think about God, he is not some shepherd that's chasing a cat with a broom under the neighbor's car, breaking it in half, right? He joyfully takes it up in his arms. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about he is the shepherd. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The gospel is about Jesus coming after you and you are but a helpless and defenseless sheep that is lost. 
And it says when he takes him up in his, in his arms, he brings it home. And he brings it with joy and he calls his neighbor together. He says, rejoice with me for my lost sheep is found. So we think about Jesus and we consider the gospel. I want you to know it is about the work and Jesus coming after you. And you're not in trouble. He's not angry. He takes you up. And man, when you give your life to Christ, there's more rejoicing in heaven than over the righteousness of the 99 that don't need to repent. He continues on in John chapter 10. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So he starts with this parable of a sheep. He continues on. Uh, and the second thing, he begins to tell this, this, this parable of this woman and a lost coin. So the second thing I want you to consider is that you are a coin. Not only are you a sheep, but you are also a coin. In verse eight, he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me for I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And again, Jesus is stirring the pot. He is like Shesha. He is a spoon. He's an instigator. So if you thought that comparing God to a shepherd was bad, now he's comparing God to a woman, which for these Pharisees is even worse, is even worse. Now for us, we don't bat an eye at that. But here's these, the, the Pharisees and even Orthodox Jewish, Jewish Orthodoxy today, they pray daily prayers. And here's a prayer that these Pharisees pray every day. It's a daily prayer. They say, thank God I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. And so for Jesus to compare God to a woman for these Pharisees is irrehensible, offensive to them. And I love it. I love that Jesus compares that and how he brings and breaks barriers and sees the things that are not true and to, and to break this religion that they're out of. So as we consider this story and consider God being compared to this woman and you being put in the place of a coin, consider the coin for the moment. A coin has value, right? If you take any coin out of your pocket, it has a denominational value. You can look at it, it's printed on the coin and it has a value. Uh, and it's printed right there and you can see and it, the value of each coin is marked, right? But denomination doesn't equal value, right? You could have a penny from like the 1940s and 1950s if it's a special Lincoln misprint penny and the, the currency and the denomination of that penny, you could spend it today and it's worth one cent, right? But if you took it to a collector, it could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, I want you to know that when we think about currency, when we think about the value of a coin and the denomination of it, that is how the world sees every one of us. Whether we believe it or not, whether they accept it or not, the world assigns a value to us that we have a denominational value. How successful we are, how skilled we are, how much money is in our account, what reputation and what position we hold, there is some sort of value that the world sees in you. And on some really harsh, really broken level, every one of us becomes currency. 
If anyone's ever been laid off, you can testify to that. At some point, your value is no longer worth it. And we have an assigned value. But the woman sees the coin differently. The woman sees the coin differently. You see, this coin means more to her than its market value. Scripture suggests that these are several coins. They're not worth very much. She loses one coin out of 10. The denominational value is not worth very much, but likely this coin was part of a necklace to this woman that she received on her wedding day and had sentimental value to it. So a few years ago, Shay, a few years ago, many years ago, like 15 years ago when Shay and I got married, Shay had a friend that uh, began to steal from us. She'd come into our house and she began to steal from us. And we caught this friend and she, she stole several things. So a few of the things she stole is one, she stole these diamond earrings that Shay had. And they weren't very big. They're not very significant. They're not, they, they don't cost a lot. But the, the diamonds and her earrings were from my grandmother and my mom's wedding ring. My mom got a new wedding ring. My grandmother passed away. So my mom took those, those diamonds and put them in earrings and gave them to Shay. Now those earrings had monetary value, but the fact that this friend stole them to Shay, they were priceless. We also had a camera. She stole our, back, we didn't have an iPhone back then, digital camera. And we had all these pictures of when Sloan was born, our oldest, when she, when she was born, a newborn baby that were saved on this camera from when she was born that we hadn't put on a computer yet. And this friend stole this camera for us. The camera cost 3,000, you know, 300 bucks. These earrings were, were several hundred dollars. Like there's a value to replace them. But to Shay and I, they were irreplaceable. So when the Lord sees your life, the woman sweeps the house because these coins are precious to her beyond the value that the world assigns, but not beyond the denomination that is marked on a coin. So look what the woman does. The first thing she does is she lights a lamp. This, she lights a lamp. It's because it, what is hidden in the darkness is shown in the light, right? She lights a lamp. She begins to sweep through the house. Scripture has a lot to say about life about light. It signifies the spirit of God. Scripture begins in, in, Gen first, uh, in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, the word was formless and void. And the Lord said, let there be bingo, right? It signifies the presence and the work of God. The New Testament starts similarly. In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus being word, becoming flesh, and dwelling among us, being the light of the world, it signifies the presence and the work of God. So when this woman begins to search for this coin, she lights a lamp, it signifies this presence of God. Psalms, Psalm 119 tells us his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Jesus, when speaking about the, lo the local church, praise God for Redeemer Hutto, says this, says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That when the Lord looks for you. When the woman looks for the coin, she lights a lamp to search because what is hidden in the darkness is shown in the light. The second thing she does is she begins to sweep the house. 
This woman, being God, begins to clean and deal with the dirt in the house. Literally, she takes a broom, begins sweeping the house, looking for this coin. And we let the Lord do the same to our heart. Revelations chapter uh, 3, verse 20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is what it means to accept Christ into your heart. This is what it means to to welcome Jesus into your heart. So open the door of your heart and allow the Lord to come in. And it says he'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. And the Lord's spirit begins to sweep our heart, right? Begins to sweep our heart, begins to deal with all the mess that we have going on and the pain and the darkness and the sin and the brokenness that we've got in our heart. You know, when, when, we have guests over and Shay and I, you know, we love having people in our house and you know, you do this too. When you have guests over, right before they get there, you clean up as much as you can. Like you pick up, you make it look nice and you know, Shay always fusses at me. She's like, we need to clean the bedroom. I'm like no one's going to our bedroom. We don't need to make the bed, clothes on the floor is fine. No one's coming in there, right? But she, yes, the living room, of course, the porch, the guest bathroom, yes, let's clean those things. But sometimes she wants me to clean the bedroom and make the bed. I was like, no one wants to see our bed. But the same is true about like, We see the Lord in the same way. We want to get all these things that we think people are going to see in a good place that look okay. And then there's parts of our hearts that we keep hidden and doors that we keep closed. But I want you to know when we ask the Lord in our life, he begins to sweep our heart and his spirit begins to clean up the mess that's in here. I met with a friend this week and we just reflected on just our own struggles and the own thing that the Lord is dealing with in our hearts. And man, some of those are transgressions and people that we've been in the past. Some of those are things that have been done to you. That every one of us have had transgressions and hurt against us. So we are not the victim. That we didn't do anything of the wrong. And the Lord wants to deal with that. He wants to clean up that mess. And the truth is that God is not afraid of that. God is not a God that scoffs at the mess of your life or the dirt that's in your heart, that when we open our hearts to God, God wants to come in and dwell in us. And just like this woman sweeping for the coin, he wants to sweep our heart. He's not intimidated, frustrated, or inconvenienced by the things that are inside of you. The next thing that she does, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and she searches carefully until she finds it. There's no place that you can go or no place that's too dark or no place that's too messy that the Lord won't come. This is that she searches until she finds it. Like I said, we say, man, we're chasing after Jesus. No, you're not. God's chasing after you. And a lot of us feel, man, if if people only knew what I've done, if people only knew the mistakes that I've made, the transgressions in my life, the people that I've hurt, the person that I was, no one would love me, no one would accept me, no one would want relationship with me. God knows. He knows every corner, every darkness that's there. And he still chooses you. And again, what happens when she finds the coin? She rejoices, says, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me for I found my lost coin. And when you give your life to the Lord, it brings joy to him. 
The last parable is a parable of the lost, the, the two lost sons. And so I want you to consider that you are a lost boy. You're a lost boy. So if you've ever seen Peter Pan, you can relate with those poor old lost boys. And I love the, the truth about the scripture is it should really be called the parable of the lost sons because there's not just one son, there's two. In Luke chapter 15, it says this, Jesus continued and said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and he squandered his wealth with wild living. Like I said, this parable is about these two brothers. One is younger, one is older. The younger son comes to the father and says, I want my, I want my inheritance now. I want what is rightfully mine, what is coming to me. I don't wait, want to wait for you to kick the bucket. I want it now. And so the Lord or the father gives the son the inheritance the son's motivation is greed, is foolishness, is immaturity, is impatience, right? Is that not every one of us? Have we not experienced that? I was talking with another friend this week about like being impatient on what the Lord is doing in my life and in our lives right now, like eager for what's next, eager for change, eager for what's coming. And it's hard to be in that place sometime. But look at what the father does. The father permits the rebellion. Even when the son says, I want what is mine, the father gives it to him. And the story goes, and you know how this is, turns out. It says that he takes the money, he squandered it away with wild living, that he spends all his inheritance and wastes it away. And then this great famine comes and he winds up poor. A great famine hits a land and he's poor. And so he gets a job feeding pigs. It is like the lowest, it's like worse than a shepherd. Feeding pigs is lower than that. And scripture says that he's envious of the pigs. He's one day, he's out feeding these disgusting creatures and these pigs. And he's like, man, I'm gonna starve to death. It's like, it'd be better to be a servant of my father and to be a slave of my father than to continue to do this. This is rock bottom for this man. This son has wasted away. He's hit rock bottom. So he decides, he says, I'm gonna go back to my father. He comes up with this plan in my head. He said, father, just hire me as your slave. Just let me be one of your servants, one of your hired hands, because I'll be safer and I'll be well-fed at least. And so literally he gets up, he turns, he begins to go back to the Father. This is what repentance is. He's at this place where he's rebelled and he's walked away from the Lord. He's broken relationship with the Father. We talked about this last week. That's what sin is. That's what our sin does, is sin destroys relationship. So just like this son that takes it as inheritance and leaves the father and squanders it away, it says that one day he's envious of these pigs. He said, I'm gonna go back to the father and I'll just be a slave. So he gets up, he turns and goes back to the father. That is repentance. And I love scripture. It says the father sees the son coming. It says he girds up his robe and he runs to his son. He runs to his son. In verse 15, it says, so he got up and he went to the father, but he's, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And I love this scene. Here's this man that's so noble and so righteous and, and that's well-respected, girding up his robe and running. And scripture literally says, King James, is that he falls upon his neck in this embrace of compassion and joy. And that's what the Lord does to us in repentance. We turn and we go back to the Lord. And so he says, 
all this speech he's prepared. God, I'm no, or Lord, I'm no father, not God, not Lord. Father, I'm no good. Just hire me as one of your servants. And the father says, nonsense. He puts a robe on his back, puts a ring on his feet or puts sandals on his feet. He says, kill the fattened calf. In verse 21, the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. This is the relationship between the father and son being restored. He has the posture of a slave, but the father sees him as a son. And we sang in worship about the love of the father that, that frees us, that breaks chains, that sets us free. So every one of us has on some level this posture, I'm just a slave, but that's not how God sees us. He sees us as a son. The truth is, is that you were created for relationship with God and a father and son relationship with the Lord. It is in your bones. It's in the very fiber of how you were created to desire relationship with the Lord. This is why when missionaries go and they, they find indigenous people that have never heard the gospel, never heard about Jesus. They begin telling these people about Jesus. And these indigenous people say, I know that God. I know that God. It is in us to desire relationship with the Father, to desire relationship with the Lord. It's why we have the, you know, we, we have all these ideas about what it should look like, what our relationship. We think, man, I'm just this awful person. The Lord sees us as a son. And so while they're celebrating, the son that's returned, the older brother is also part of the story. He is the one that stayed. He is the one that did all the right things, that made all the right decisions, that has been the good person, that has done all the things he should have. He didn't, he didn't take his inheritance. He didn't bail on his father. So as they're celebrating the return of the younger, the younger brother, there's one person missing, and it's the older son. So they're celebrating the return of this younger brother, and the older son is missing. So the father leaves the celebration and goes out to find the missing son. Verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The older brother has the posture of what? A slave. He didn't see himself as a son. He says, God, I've been slaving away from you. I've always done the right thing. I've made the right decisions. You've never done this for me. Because he doesn't have the posture of the son. He has the posture of a slave. And he's outside of what the relationship between a father and son should be. Verse 30, it says, but, but when the son of yours who has squandered away your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened cat for him. Listen to the father. He says, my son. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. So we consider the gospel and we read these parables. We see the heart of Jesus, a God that comes after us when we're lost, a father that rescues us. It's not angry over our brokenness and our sin that celebrates and finds joy 
and our repentance and coming home. And we look at the gospel, that's a life that we live every day. I've said this before, is the gospel is a life to be lived, not just a story to be told. So we're to live with the posture of a son, not of a slave. And sometimes we are like that son that has gone away and squandered life on prostitutes, wasted living. But sometimes we're like the son that stayed. We think I did all the right things. I'm a good person. I deserve this. And in every one of us, we have that posture of a slave. So as we close, I wanna show you this video. Um, and I've shown this to some of you before, but this is uh, Chris Christopherson, if you know Chris Christopherson, and he's talking about this song that he sings called Why Me, Lord, that he wrote. And it's this beautiful testimony of him accepting Christ. And I want you to look at just how simple it is as he shares his testimony about his experience with Jesus. And I love this. And I love how he shares. It's just so simple and so beautiful. And he's not someone that grew up in church. And he writes this song called Why Me, Lord? And it came out of this experience. So y'all watch this. And now let me, let me give you, before you play that, Paul, um, if you're through church at home, the feed might cut. Um, if it cuts off because of the video, um, we'll, we'll send that out and we'll send that link out. So take a look at this. And Chris, before we do it, I'd like for you to tell the story of why me, Lord. I think it was inspired by Larry Gatlin, wasn't it? In a well, way. Uh, I was moved by a song I heard him singing in church. Was it Help Me? Help Me. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah, it was. Wasn't it? Did it you was go to, at did Jimmy you, Snow's church. You uh, took Connie Smith to church, or she took you to she church? She took me to church. Uh, we had, uh, the night before, we'd been down in Cookville with a bunch of people doing a benefit for, uh, for Dottie West's uh, high school band or something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then uh, Connie uh, took me over to, to church the next day to, to Jimmy Snow's church. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, I, I had a profound uh, religious experience uh, during during uh, the the uh, session. Something that I had never had happened to me before, and uh, and uh, why me came out of it. It was a very personal experience. Then. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, 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 everybody was kneeling down. And uh, and uh, Jimmy said uh, uh, something like, "If if anybody's lost, please raise their hand." And I was I was kneeling there. I don't go to I don't go to church a lot. And uh, and uh, the notion of raising my hand was uh, out of out of the question. <laughs> and I thought uh, I I can't imagine who's doing this. And all of a sudden, I felt my hand going up. And I was hoping nobody else was looking because everybody was had their head over, bent over, uh, praying. And then he said, uh, "If if anybody uh, is ready to accept Jesus, something like this, uh, come down to the front of the of the church." And uh, uh, I thought. That would never happen, and uh, and uh, I found myself getting up and walking down with all these people and mm -hmm. going down there, and, and I don't really know what he said to me. He said something to me like, "Are you ready to accept 
Jesus Christ in your life or something? And I said, I don't know. I, I didn't know what I was doing there. And he put me down, <laughs> said, kneel down here. And, and he, uh, I, I can't even remember what he was saying, but whatever it was, was such a release for me that I, w I find myself weeping in public <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, I felt the, this uh, forgiveness that I didn't, that I didn't know I even needed. Could we get you and Janie Fricky and Willie to, to do this? We'll sing harmony, you Ooh. bet. We're well, right we'll here. try. I'll do it in G, and I uh, hope I don't mess up the band again. <laughs> deserve even one of the pleasures I've known Tell me Lord what did I ever do that was worth loving you or oh, the kindness you've shown I can try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I go through myself on my way back. that's it, right? The words of Chris Christopherson, it can't be said better. Like it's so simple that the Lord loves you. And I love the way he says that I just went to this session. <laughs> I mean, it's so simple. Don't you know the Lord loves you?
There's no place that you can go. No, no depth that you can fall. That he will stop sweeping and stop searching and stop chasing after you. And he gave his life so that you can have yours, so that he can be in relationship with you. And man, if the Lord is calling your name, the time to accept that is then. Because there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sheep that's found than over righteousness in 99. Stand with me, let's pray. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.